Well, as Steve said, uh, we're looking at the last in our series, Rich Man, Poor Man, Beggar Man, Thief, uh, where we're looking at Jesus encountering various individuals in the Gospel of Mark, uh, personal encounters, which I think teach us a lot about Jesus. And today we're going to talk about Jesus and the desperate, meeting someone who was desperate. And what we learn when we see these is that Jesus has a very personal touch, has a unique understanding and knowledge of each person who he meets, and that uh, there is a, a love and a grace and a time, actually, for individuals, but also there's a power and a righteousness and a truth. And it's not always comfortable meeting Jesus, but it's always good. And right, and it's just that wonderful mix that you see in each one of these encounters. I just want to remind you quickly of two things that I mentioned when we started this series a few weeks ago. If the first uh, slide could go up, thank you. These are two things about Jesus. The first one is this. Jesus, more than anyone else or anything else, shows us most clearly what God is like. So let's put up that one, uh, the next one, please, if you've got it. Um, Jesus, more than anyone or anything else, shows us most clearly what God's like. Thank you. These are two very clear verses. Let's just linger on them for a moment. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son, that's Jesus, who is himself God and is in the closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. So Jesus tells us the most about God. And then that Hebrews passage which reinforces it, The sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he provided purification for sins, which is what he did when he died and rose again, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven, where Jesus is now. So first point is that Jesus tells us what God's like more than anything else does. Secondly, if we can pop the next one up, Jesus hasn't changed his attitude since going back to heaven. Jesus hasn't gone all funny and aloof and weird since he's gone back to heaven and he's disconnected from us now and doesn't know what's going on here. He's still touched with our weaknesses. He's still, in fact, he understands better than ever because he's been a man down here on the earth. And Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. Isn't that good to know? When we're looking at these things, when we're learning from them, let's keep that in our mind. It's very important. We're not dealing with just a historic event, though it was a historic event. We're dealing with the Son of God and the Jesus who's alive today at the right hand of the Father. Okay, let's read our passage, which is uh, Mark 10 and verses 46 to 52. Very well known, uh, but it's still worth just taking time over it. Let's read it carefully. Then they came to Jericho. So that's Jesus and his disciples. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called to the blind man, Cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, 
I want to see. Go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. Immediately, he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Now, that's a very familiar story, and we've even probably looked at it, I think, within the last year or two, maybe in a context here. But I think God's got a number of lessons for all of us this morning. So I hope that you can keep focus as we go through it. Now, first of all, I want to say, Bartimaeus was blind and he was poor. He's a blind beggar. And I am absolutely convinced that Jesus is healing today. So I would be not wanting to avoid the literal, as it were, impact of this story, that Jesus can still heal. That's why we've prayed for little Joel. He's also able to turn dire physical circumstances like poverty into places of of provision and supply and change lives completely in a practical, physical way, which is what happened in this case. His whole life was revolutionised. He had his sight and I presume he was able to continue in a more normal form of life than being a beggar. Having said that, I also want to broaden this out beyond physical needs. Because in the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, Blindness and poverty are frequently a picture of a spiritual state for any people. They are often used as an example of our spiritual state. Blind spiritually, poor spiritually. It's a sort of motif that you'll get throughout the Bible. And just to illustrate that and to bring the point home, I want to just give you two more verses. So if we can put up the first one from 2 Corinthians 4, please. This is talking about the state we are all in until we meet Jesus. The God of this age, with a small g, referring to Satan really behind things, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. There is a spiritual blindness that comes on people with regard to Jesus and the truths about God. And so when we're preaching the gospel, we're not just trying to persuade people with arguments. There is a need for a spiritual breakthrough of light. There's a need for an experience not unlike Bartimaeus, where the person gets desperate enough, says, I don't even understand this. I'm trying to get my head around it. How did God make the world? How could Jesus be God and man? In the end, you've got to see something. It's not just going to be in your head. You're going to see it. I see it. Jesus, I believe it now. He is God and man. I don't know if I can explain it any better, but I believe it. And it's something like that, which is true, and I pray it for you this morning, if you're here and uncertain, and I think we should pray it for our friends, and I want you to learn from this this morning. Maybe that light moment will come this morning. I believe it can, even as we're uh, speaking and look at this story. Then the other verse I want you to put up is, thank you, Revelation 3. Now, this actually is spoken to a church. It's spoken to Christians. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and I do not need a thing. So these people were very complacent. And God, this is actually Jesus himself, speaks to them and says, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. So again, it's a metaphor for people who are spiritually switched off, who think they've got everything, are complacent about it, but actually, if you could but see it, you're blind beggars says Jesus. You, you think you've got everything, but you're actually more like, spiritually, a blind beggar. I don't want any of us like that. I don't want to be like that myself. And I pray this morning that we have breakthrough moments in our own lives, which are not unlike Bartimaeus. 
So it may not be a physical thing. It may be a spiritual or an emotional or even a social emotional. You know, we're tied up. We're knotted up. We feel impoverished. We feel blind. Maybe uh, about certain truths. There may be things that you've just despaired of in terms of of ever seeing any breakthrough. Desperate about it. Uh, And almost put it on the back burner, as we say. I pray that God breaks through this morning. Amen? That's what my prayer is. It really is. Bartimaeus, the first thing I want to say is he recognized his need. And I pray that as we sit here, we will recognize we need something from Jesus. If you don't think you need anything from Jesus, that is fine. I'm not, I'm not actually saying that's wrong. You might just feel I'm really content in God. It's a godly contentment. That's great. But I just say, if there is a need, there's a lot to learn here from Bartimaeus. He recognized his need. What I'm going to do is basically go through the story. And I'm going to learn, we're going to learn a few things from Bartimaeus, largely, as we go through. So I hope you can take, I can take you with me through this, because I know it's pretty familiar. But clearly, Bartimaeus had sat and begged outside the gate of Jericho for years. Now, that would have been a place which was pretty busy as people came in and out of the city. So it was a good place to beg. Having had the privilege of traveling to somewhere like India and Mumbai, you do actually see a lot of beggars. And you do see how people live in what is probably broadly a hot country, which the Middle East is, and where there's a lot of poverty. I would imagine Bartimaeus' life, I could almost imagine it. It was pretty basic. He probably had a little night shelter hovel thing where he spent the night, and uh, maybe just by the side of the road, as you see in some of these great cities like Mumbai. And then he would probably make his way. Maybe people helped him. Maybe he was so familiar with it that he could tap his way or find his way to a familiar spot where I would imagine he regularly sat every day begging. Begging for money, yes. Begging for food or even drink. Because there's no welfare state here. He is dependent on other people's charity for absolutely everything. Being blind probably meant his hearing is pretty well tuned. That's often how it is. Thankfully, it's slight compensation sometimes. So people are really good at hearing things. They get used to picking up every sort of sound. And on this morning, he suddenly is alert to something that means something is happening. He can hear the murmur of a crowd, maybe the odd shout or the the crying out of a crowd not that far away. A sort of procession, a sort of crowd is coming his way. And as people pass him, he wants to know who it is. Maybe he grabbed the edge of someone's uh, robe or cloak, and he said, what's happening? Now, Luke's version, Luke 18, actually tells us he asked what is happening. So I'm not really making this up. I'm only embellishing it slightly. He asked, what is happening? And you can imagine the person that probably isn't over-impressed with a, an old beggar grabbing his cloak, and he sort of snatches his cloak back and says, Jesus of Nazareth is coming, and hurries on, because this person's wanting to see Jesus. So you sort of imagine it, can't you? Jesus of Nazareth is coming. And suddenly, he's aware that Jesus of Nazareth is near to him. It's very near, and is probably going to pass by. Here's my first lesson for us all this morning from Bartimaeus. It's this one. One, be curious. Be curious. Bartimaeus wanted to know what was going on. He wasn't so locked up in his own little misery, his own little world, his own little, oh, I hope I get a bit of money today, that he wasn't sort of aware that something was going on. There's a bigger world out there. There's more stuff happening. What is it? I'd like to know more about it. 
Now, I would say to you this morning, if you are not a Christian, you don't yet know Jesus as your own Savior, your own Lord, you don't really know what we're on about, please continue to be curious. Let me say, first of all, well done for being here this morning, because that probably indicates you are interested and open and prepared to think and listen. But you did hear us mention about an Alpha course earlier in the notices. Can I really encourage you to come on that Alpha course in October? I think the 27th of September is a Sunday when we sort of launch it and start it. Come along, be curious, find out more about Jesus. Clearly, there was that element to uh, Bartimaeus, which is a key point to his ultimate breakthrough and finding hope and help through Jesus. He was alert enough to think, I want to know what's going on. I'd like to know more about this. I'd encourage you, if you know Christian friends, and perhaps you do, you wouldn't be here otherwise, ask them, well, what's it mean to you then? What is this Jesus? You know, who is he? Um, Why do you worship him? what, What does it mean for you? Ask them what they see in Jesus, if you like. What do you see I don't see? I think we should ask questions like that. I find it amazing, really amazing, how quickly and easily people dismiss God, dismiss the Bible, dismiss Jesus, often with very ignorant, uh, I'm sorry, that sounds a heavy word, very ignorant of facts. I don't mean to use it as a heavy word. I'm just amazed. People don't, you know, some people say, oh, I don't, you know, I don't think Jesus existed. He certainly existed. There's absolutely no question about that. Uh, and, and what I'd really just encourage you to do is to be a bit more curious about it, inquire into it. Not only Alpha, just for yourself. Have you ever read part of the Bible? Perhaps you have. A lot of people do try. But have you read through a gospel? Read through John's gospel. Read through Luke's gospel. Read through this one, Mark's gospel. You have to read them all. It doesn't take very long. Um, probably, if you're an ordinary reader, it, it'll just be an hour or two to read through a whole gospel. Just read it and ask God to say, I'd like to see Jesus. I'd like to understand a bit more about Jesus. Can I encourage you to be curious about him? Well, let's go back to our story, because Bartimaeus appears to know a bit about Jesus. I think you'll see where we're going in a moment, but I think he does, using that son of David, which we'll come back to, is a little clue to that. Maybe he'd heard talk about Jesus. Maybe he'd heard people, because he's got, I would imagine, good hearing, discussing what's going on, maybe in Jericho. But Jesus, by this time, has been around for two or three years ministering. This is the run-up to Jesus going to Jerusalem, ultimately to be tried and crucified. So we're, we're actually dealing with the latter phase of Jesus' ministry. So clearly, the word was on the street about Jesus. Some people thought he was a Messiah. Probably uh, Bartimaeus had picked up. The religious authorities were very uneasy about Jesus and did not think he was the Messiah. But the common people were a bit more open to that. There was a lot of talk about him being a prophet. And I guess Bartimaeus was intrigued by it and stirred by it in his heart. He knew about Isaiah 61. You might not. Isaiah 61 is a great proclamation of the Messiah. It's what Jesus read in uh, his first, at the very beginning of his ministry, so two or three years earlier than this, he read in the synagogue about what the Messiah has come to do, what his kingdom was about. And there's a phrase in it, one of the things the Messiah is going to bring is recovery of sight for the blind. That's one of the things in the Messiah's, as it were, uh, manifesto, 
of, of Isaiah 61. Now, if, and I suspect he did, if Bartimaeus managed to get to synagogue services, because most of them brought up very carefully, and even the poor people would get in, and we know some demon-possessed people were in the synagogue sometimes. So I think he would have heard that read many times, because it was something that anticipated Messiah and his kingdom. He thought, if this is the Messiah, if this is it, one of the things he does is open blind eyes. Recovery of sight for the blind is part of what he said. Maybe he'd heard Jesus actually say, you are hearing, what you're hearing is going to be fulfilled with me. Because that's what Jesus said right at the beginning of his ministry. And some people wanted to kill him then and there for saying it. There was no doubt what he was saying. I am here to fulfill this messianic passage. It's fulfilled in your hearing today. Right from the start, Jesus put down a marker of who he was. He didn't hide it. And so I reckon there was a little bit of knowledge behind what Bartimaeus knew. As the din gets louder, he realizes this is all closing in on him. Perhaps people began to sort of hurry past him. Maybe people trod on him. I'm sure they would. A crowd would. Crowds are quite scary and quite careless in a way. And he would have been pressed perhaps against a wall or something. He could sense more and more it was building up. He knew if he was going to get hold of Jesus and get his attention, he'd really got to go for it. The crowd's all around him. People are pressing him. There's a noise and dust and, 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 and chaos in a way. And he, and he thinks, I've got to go for this. No one's going to help me. It's no good saying, excuse me, excuse me. Uh, would someone help me to Jesus? Nobody's going to even think about it. Nobody's going to listen to him. And so he lifts his voice and shouts. He's obviously still sitting down. You can tell that by the story. So he's sitting in his beggar position and he shouts, Jesus! Son of David, have mercy on me. It's a brilliant shout. And it's a very thorough shout. I don't know what word to use. Son of David is important. It's not a phrase you'll find hardly anywhere else in Mark's Gospel. I'm not sure anybody else actually calls Jesus Son of David. I haven't checked it as thoroughly, but I think nobody else actually uses it title. It is a messianic title. He is saying, I know you're the Messiah, help me. He's saying a little more than just picking a phrase. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Something told Bartimaeus this could be the Isaiah 61 time. This could be the Isaiah 61 moment. This is possibly the Messiah. This could be the Messiah. Son of David, have mercy on me. This poor blind beggar saw something that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law never saw. Isn't that amazing? And I think it tells us something that there's an issue of revelation. There's an issue of grace about the gospel all the way through. So the clever Clever people who understood the whole Old Testament could probably completely analyze Isaiah 61 for you in every detail, didn't see what Bartimaeus saw. He saw something. Something opened his eyes. I think that's what happens to us often, all of us. But you have to be humble enough to go with it when the curtain flicks open. Don't think, oh, oh no, 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 I'm not sure about that. The curtain of revelation flicks open. Go for it. I see it. Son of David, it's my moment as well. If you're the Messiah, you're recovery of sight for the blind. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now the story says, many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. I love looking at the detail. Many 
Not just one or two. But shut up, be quiet, shut up, sit down, stay sitting down, get out of the way. Now, why was that? Well, first of all, probably because they were healthy, normal people who could see and they didn't care about him. Oh, shut up, he's a blind beggar. And they wanted to focus on Jesus, didn't want to disturb Jesus. I wonder if there was a little bit of nervousness in there because of the son of David bit. So if you start shouting out, he's the Messiah, we'll, be, we'll all be in trouble. Jesus will be in trouble. You don't want to do that, do you? You don't want to put Jesus in trouble. Because if the Pharisees and the, and the Sadducees and all the rest of the seas find out that you are shouting out, Messiah, Messiah, we might have the temple guard clearing the streets and arresting Jesus. Be quiet. Don't start talking like that. Don't shout like that. Know your place. Shut up and stay there begging. And, and, but he doesn't take any notice. It says he shouted all the more. Son of David. I'm not backing off on that one. <laughs> son of David. I, I'm not backing off. He's the, if you're the Messiah, son of David, have mercy on me. I mean, it's good. It's bold. Second lesson then. Be resolute. Let's learn from him. I'm getting carried away with the story. Can you put the next one up, please? Be resolute. Thank you. No one, let me tell you this, no one ever comes to Christ without overcoming problems. I tell you, that is absolutely true. No one ever becomes a follower of Jesus without having to overcome challenges. If you think it's a doddle, you'll never manage it. You think it's just something I float around and I... I mean, they're often unique to you. This is pretty unique to Bartimaeus, the problems he had to overcome. But, but someone will try and stop you. Your own doubts and fears will be a big issue, but often it's more than that. It'll be circumstances. Oh, I wanted to come to the Alpha course and suddenly I've got a course in, you know, uh, first century Mandarin to do. I've been waiting to do that course for 20 years and now they've opened a course on Tuesday evenings here in Winchester. I can learn my first century Mandarin, which I've been dying to do for 20 years. Something, something will get in the way, always. And the timing is weird. I haven't had a boyfriend for five years and someone's just asked me out the first night of Alpha. Well, think about where that's coming from. Because Satan doesn't want you to get... People, obstacles get in the way. Obstacles got in the way for Bartimaeus. But he ignored the criticism. He ignored the complaints. He ignored the fears, perhaps, that people had. Ah, you caused trouble shouting that. He ignored all that and he pressed through. Now, I would encourage you, if you, Christian or non-Christian, not yet Christian, if you're going to get anywhere with Jesus, you've got to be a bit tenacious, a bit resolute. It doesn't all come on a plate. It never has, and it never does. Jesus is like that. He's like it in the stories here. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But that doesn't necessarily mean he is gentle, Jesus, meek, and mild. That's a slightly unbalanced chorus that I learned in my childhood. So... He, he is gentle, but he's tough as well. It's the lion and Aslan thing. And, 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 you know, actually, to be honest, there are often challenges that Jesus wants us to prove our faith with, which is sort of what happens here a bit, I think. And be resolute then. Okay, what happens? Jesus stops and says, call him. The bit I love about this is this. The cry for mercy always gets Jesus' attention. A cry for mercy always stops him and he listens. You will find that again and again. So our third lesson from Dear Bartimaeus is be humble. Oh, you've jumped to four. I want three, please. Be humble. 
Be humble. A cry for mercy always gets Jesus' attention. I would say, are you desperate enough to be humble about whatever it is you are looking for from Jesus? True humility knows they've got, that there's nothing you can bargain with knows that you you can't say, I want this on behalf of my merits or as a reward for something or because I deserve it. It throws itself, humility, on God's mercy and grace. Just his grace. Really effective prayer is always humble prayer. Now, it doesn't mean it's not passionate and radical and other things we're going to see briefly in a moment, but it is humble It's humble, contrite hearts that God loves and meets with. We had had one of our family, we've got three children, they've all got children, and one of the families was with us yesterday. And so at the meal table, Tilly, who's eight years old, Tilly goes to a, I think, either it's a Church of England school, or is it a Roman Catholic primary school? And she said, Grandad, when we're praying at, at school... They, they ask God, graciously hear us. What does that mean, graciously hear us? I don't understand the words. See, my grandchildren, that's how we do, all around the table. They're all, <laughs> they're all quiet all the time. And just occasionally one will say, pardon me, granddad. Could you explain the difference again between post-millennialism and pre-millennialism? Or... or after a nice pe- period of a few quiet mouthfuls in silence, one would say, again, could you remind me of the gospel, Grandad? All that sort of thing. And then we usually have about 20 minutes of prayer at the end. And each one of them prays beautifully, actually. And, Sorry, Lord, that's all a lie. <laughs> one of them was dressed as Darth Vader all day and kept trying to kill me. <laughs> kept wanting a battle with lightsabers all day long. So... And, and, and I think one of them immediately married some beautiful meal was prepared said I don't like that I don't want any of that so, so okay but one of them did ask me granddad what does it mean graciously hear us what's that mean actually it made me think for a moment and I thought it was a good thought why, do we, why would you pray graciously because Lord you don't have to hear us you don't have to take any notice of our cries and shouts gracious out of your grace hear us now, it's all a bit wordy and a bit tied up in old language, but actually, it's a great thought. God, I don't come thinking anything other than it's only by your grace you'll hear me. And that's a good attitude to have. It's a fruitful attitude to have. But it's where uh, dear Bartimaeus was, crying for mercy. Well, Jesus stops, and when Jesus stops, something is sure to happen. You can imagine it, though, that, that with all this yelling going on from Bartimaeus, that is, you know, when he first hesitates, which Jesus must have done, he was a normal person, he catches his attention, people might say, oh, sorry about that, sorry, we did ask for the street to be cleared of beggars, we should have, oh, it shouldn't be here at all, really, you know, oh, the son of David bit, a bit presumptuous, don't listen, we'll shut him up, we'll shut him up, and Jesus said, no, call him call him. And then they change. You read the story. It's all oh, cheer up. He's going to call him. So everybody wants to help Bartimaeus now. It's like a celebrity thing, isn't it? They're all telling him to shut up. Now that Jesus wants him, it's oh, oh, come on. Okay. Come on, cheer up. He wants you. Yeah. And, and you get a sense that Bartimaeus doesn't really take a lot of notice of the people either way. It says he jumped up. He threw aside his cloak. It's almost like if, if someone was trying to help him up, he shrugged them off. 
He's not interested. Five, two minutes ago, they were telling him to shut up. Now everybody's trying to help him to Jesus. He doesn't care. He wants to go. He throws aside his cloak. And we need to pause for a moment. We really do. Because that is just a by-the-way phrase, you might say. And yet it's quite important. It is almost certain that that was his most valuable possession. That Bartimaeus' cloak was probably his most valuable possession. As I say, when you see folk in circumstances like this, you realise that whatever keeps them warm or secure, because it was winter at times in the Middle East, and certainly the mornings could be very chilly, so it would give him warmth and protection, but also a certain degree of dignity. It probably covered up his rags underneath a bit. It probably was, it may not have been very much, but it probably was his most valuable possession, that cloak that he held himself in a bit of security, a bit of dignity, and a bit of protection as well. But when he's going for Jesus, he throws it aside. It's a brilliant picture. It's a brilliant picture. He couldn't care less. He doesn't want to be tangled up with it. He doesn't need it anymore. He's, either, he's going for Jesus. He's not worried about this cloak. So the fourth one, which can come up now, thank you, is let's be radical if we're going to have, do business with, with Jesus. I would ask all of us, all of us, how desperate for Jesus and his help are you? How desperate for Jesus to break in into your life are you? Are you prepared to throw aside that which gives you most security and most protection and most dignity and keeps you feeling a little bit enclosed in a safe little cocoon? That which you hide behind, that which is a genuine help. If you're a blind beggar, nobody wants to say that it's a bad thing to have a cloak. A cloak is not a sin if you're a bland, blind beggar. But it's a very silly thing to let that stop you meeting Jesus with a far more radical answer. Because he'll take you out of the whole world of blind beggars. So don't hang on to that. Good though it was when there was nothing for you to do but beg, it is actually now a nuisance and should be thrown aside. What about you? What about me? Because I think we all struggle in this area. I think when we're looking for business with Jesus, looking for him to break in, help us, break through in our darkness, I think there is often an issue which is like a, a cloak, a bit like the blind beggar's cloak. You know, we're not yet desperate enough sometimes to, to, to let Jesus deal with us on his terms. You know, we think, well, we'd rather have it on our terms, Lord. We'd rather have your help on our terms. Can you please help me in a genteel way? No mess, confidentiality guaranteed, dignity maintained, polite help, please, Jesus. I don't know you'll always get it that way. Sorry. Might be lucky. Ooh, wrong word to use. Now, I'm half joking you. I can't guarantee that it's always going to be messy when Jesus helps you, but quite often it is. Quite often, he breaks right through our protection. It sort of depends on us. It sort of depends on where we're at. But it clearly, Bartimaeus threw this aside. He was prepared to be truly radical because he wanted to really meet Jesus. Maybe you're not yet a Christian. Are you prepared to throw aside something that you rather hang on to with security. I don't know what it is. Only God knows and you know, perhaps. Are you prepared to let it go to truly meet Jesus? I think we all have to be open to that. 
Anyway, let's go back to our story. So Bartimaeus clearly staggers or runs his way towards Jesus. Perhaps people guiding him, many hands trying to guide him. And now he's standing in front of Jesus, divine power and compassion, meeting desperate human need. He stands right in front of Jesus. And it's quite dramatic, but what does Jesus say? What do you want me to do for you? Now that's almost an anticlimax, isn't it? What do you want me to do for you? We think, well, it's obvious, isn't it? He's a blind beggar, you know. Or you think, well, you're the son of God. You know what he needs and what you, you know what you're going to do and all the rest of it. But it isn't like that. He says, what do you want me to do for you? And what does Bartimaeus say? Rabbi, I want to see. <laughs> He's got it in one. He is clear. He's courteous, actually. He's respectful. And he is very direct. Rabbi, I want to see. If you're the teacher, the son of David, he's been shouting about, Lord, I want you to give me sight. I want to see. There's no ifs and buts. There's no hedging his bet. But if that's too much trouble, a little bit more food and a nicer home, that would do. No, it's not, it's, it's not like if it's, you know, let's scale it down. Anything you've got to give, really. Um, no, no. Rabbi, I want to see. So let's look at the next lesson, number five. Be specific. There's seven of these. They're not too long. Be specific. Be specific. I think in our prayers, in our petitions, God wants us sometimes to be more specific than we are. You see, Jesus Christ does know our needs. He knew Bartimaeus' needs. But he seems sometimes, often, always, I might say, to want to hear them from us. Isn't that interesting? He knows the need, but he wants to hear from us. What do you want me to do for you? Don't dress it up. Be specific. Be clear. Be bold. But in a sense, you can be passionate, but be respectful. You're coming to the Lord of glory. But, but the, it, like, like Bartimaeus, it's respectful, but it's passionate and it's clear. Jesus said in many places, ask, several places, ask, ask, ask. He seems to encourage a tenacity and a persistence in prayer. Well, after that, Jesus says to him, go, your faith has healed you. It says immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Just pause for a moment on that one. He immediately received his sight and he followed Jesus along the road. So this guy probably has never seen since perhaps birth. His eyes open. And I'm sure lots of things suddenly hit him, hit his senses. You know, there was the colour, there was the crowd, there was the sky, the sun. But the thing he saw was Jesus right in front of him. That's what he would have seen. Right in front of him, he would have seen the Son of God, the Son of David. Jesus right in front of him. And it changes Bartimaeus' life. It changed, not only that he's no longer blind, that obviously was huge, but seeing Jesus changes his life because it says he followed Jesus along the road. Do you notice that last few uh, words? He followed Jesus along the road. So he became a follower of Jesus. Now, church tradition and actually pretty logical commentary commentators would say that Bartimaeus became a member of the early church. Now, one of the reasons for saying that 
is that there are not many names given in the Gospels of people who get healed. If you think about it, that's true. And in Mark's Gospel, there's just two names given, Jairus and Bartimaeus. And many commentators would say the reason is because they would have been known to the early church. So people are being reminded of the story and the origin of Bartimaeus. Just use your imagination a bit. This is towards the end of Jesus' ministry. Bartimaeus follows Jesus. He will be around through the crucifixion. In a few months from now, the day of Pentecost will come. I have no grounds for saying this other than my imagination. Was Mark Bartimaeus one of the 120 in the upper room? Quite possibly. I mean, he would have been a fresh follower of Jesus. He would have been really revolutionized by what happened. And he went and he saw all that went on in Jerusalem. As I say, many good uh, grounds for thinking he became a member of the early church. I suspect he was in the upper room, one of the 120 that got filled with the Spirit. His whole life changed. So let's look at the next one. Be changed. Number six. Jesus changes everything. When you see Jesus, you will not stay the same. Every, it's not just that he saw and he went back to become a, I don't know, probably get a trade or something. We don't know what he did with the rest of his life. But it, the, the implication is that he went on following Jesus, that his whole orientation was different. His whole life was different. From this point, Bartimaeus became a disciple of Jesus Christ, a follower of Jesus. He was healed. He was restored. He was forgiven. And Jesus was his Lord and saviour. Now that's the same for everyone in this room. When your eyes are opened, when you see Jesus, this is not a little blip in your life. This changes everything. Amen? And it has for many of you. It changes the whole order of your life, the whole direction of your life. This is the beginning of what potentially, and I believe probably was, a whole lot of things that happened in Bartimaeus's life. If, as we think, he was part of the early church, there was a lot of rich experience coming down the line to him as he followed Jesus. Hallelujah. So what a wonderful picture of conversion. Be changed. You belong to Jesus now. Just let's pause for a moment and think, what, what, what if Bartimaeus had allowed some of the complaints to hold him back? What if he'd, if he'd said, well, look, it, it, oh, the crowd's too big. They don't like it. I'll wait till the next time. He didn't know this was the last time Jesus was coming through. If he'd said, I'll wait till the next time, because Jesus will come back again, I'm sure. I just can't get through to him now. If he had done that, this opportunity would have gone forever. Jesus was on his way to Calvary, actually, to the cross. This is where he's going from this point he's moving towards there. He will never come back that way again. And I think there is a sober, real challenge here for every one of us, all of us, that there are moments when Jesus is near, when the curtain flicks open, when we sort of get it and see it, and we have to go for those moments. The big one is becoming a Christian. You know, if you, just the last few months, I've found a lot of things drawing me to God. I, I find a lot of, uh, it comes up all over the place. And, and I've got this friend who's invited me along to church and they've got an Alpha course coming up. It's one of those moments, Jesus is close to you. Don't miss it. 
Don't think, well, I'll wait till another time. It may all happen again next year. No, no, don't do that. You never know. There's loads of reasons, and they're all a bit mysterious. One of them is God himself. There seem to be minute moments when God is close, and he doesn't always do that. Now, you could say, wasn't well, he always open? Yes, technically, he is always open. This side of the grave, you can come at any time. But actually, their experience is more dynamic than that. It's more like this, that Jesus had been around for three or four years in, in Palestine, but this was a moment when he was close. To, he was within earshot. He was within earshot of Bartimaeus. And Bartimaeus was not going to lose that moment. Don't you lose the moments when Jesus is within earshot of you. And even for Christians, there are times when you feel God is dealing with something here. There's something drawing me on. It may be about the Holy Spirit. maybe about being filled with the Spirit. It may be more profoundly to do with your character or something God's doing in there. It may be a healing moment. It could be all sorts of things. But don't be hesitant when you sense Jesus is near in earshot. Go for it, because you, you can't actually guarantee that those type of moments, that's the best way of putting it, keep coming, because they wouldn't have done for Bartimaeus. Let's remember, today is the day of salvation. Jesus may not pass this way again. Well, at the end, and we're coming to the last point, Jesus in verse 52 says something very, very specific. Listen, your faith has healed you. Now, isn't that interesting what he says? He doesn't say your prayers. He doesn't say your pleas. He says your faith. Now, actually, Bartimaeus did plead. He did pray. But Jesus saw a faith behind the prayer. It's quite interesting. You're not being heard for your much speaking, Bartimaeus. It's not because you shouted louder than anybody else, that your voice was louder than anybody else. Your faith has healed you. It's not because you shouted louder than anybody else. Very important. Faith comes up again and again in the Gospels when Jesus is dealing with people. And it's not a cerebral intellectual faith particularly. I'm not saying there's not a place for that, but that's not really what's being meant here. It's certainly not what Bartimaeus is dealing with. It's, it's, it's a, a somehow seeing something and, and going for it in Jesus. And, and there's a sense in which there's a focus to faith that comes with desperation and maybe not with full understanding. Uh, uh, Jonathan preached on the the woman with the issue of blood and and she was the same. If I can just touch the hem of his garment and Jesus commends her for her faith. Her faith brings a focus to her. She knows Jesus is the answer. That's what it is. Bartimaeus knows Jesus, he's special. He's son of David. He's the answer to my need. That's what he knows And he follows that in a focused way. Faith produces fervent prayer, which ultimately produces spiritual fruit. Honestly, that's true. The faith is the issue, not just the shouting and the loudness of his call. So the last point, number seven, is believe. (laughs) Nearly like B. Believe. I think for all of us, no matter how desperate or not desperate even we are as Christians... It's very important that we live constantly aware of Jesus being everything he said he was. I think that's what Bartimaeus got, that Jesus was who he said he was. And I think all of us, let's say it quietly and firmly, 
We need to live believing that Jesus is the Son of God who died for our sins, who rose again, who's at the right hand of the Father alive today, who has invited us to pray, and who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So whether you fully understand it all or not, you know Jesus is the answer. Amen? That is faith. That is a focus. And it means it will affect our prayer, it will affect how we live, it will affect the choices we make. And this faith is often tested. Bartimaeus was. Jesus almost habitually seems to challenge people with a few questions or something. He does it really here when he says, well, what do you want me to do? And he, and he, he does it with other people. And that's slightly unnerving, but it's true. There's a sense in which it's not made totally easy. He's looking to make sure the faith is genuine. And Jesus doesn't exercise his power in a sort of random, impersonal way. He is focusing and focused by people's faith, it seems. He he himself is homing in on faith. We're not talking about faith in faith. We're talking about faith in Jesus and who he is and who he says he is. And actually... This blind beggar is not the only one who displays this sort of desperate, clear faith. As we finish, I'm going to read you the only other person named in uh, Mark's Gospel. It'll go up on the screen. It's Jairus. Just look at this. And this guy is very different socially from Bartimaeus. He is a synagogue leader. So he's the other end of the scale in some ways. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet and he pleaded earnestly with him. My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she'll be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. Just let's leave that up for a moment. There are actually similarities, although it is a very different person and different circumstances. There are big similarities. It says he saw Jesus... He came and he, heard, he must have heard about Jesus. He came and saw Jesus. He fell at his feet. He's obviously not worried about what he looks like, synagogue leader falling on his feet before this sort of Messiah prophet guy from Galilee, Nazareth. You know, he's not worried about reputation. He falls at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him. Pleaded earnestly. My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so she'll be healed and live. He knows Jesus can solve the problem. He knows there's an answer here and he wants it. Jesus went with him. Jesus went with him. Now here is another thing, and this really is the last point, but I think it's part of the faith point. I am amazed how Jesus lets faith affect his agenda. Faith sets Jesus' agenda. I don't know what way to put it. It's almost like he allows his program to be interrupted by faith calls. You see it with the woman later who touches his hem of his garment. Here, Jairus, I mean, I don't know what Jesus is about to do, but he clearly changes his plans because of Jairus' request. Bartimaeus. Now, it's not as though Jesus has got nothing to do all day, just waiting for someone to ask him. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure, that's good. I was bored, actually. It's, no, no, no. The, Jesus is actually, sadly, tragically, powerfully, wonderfully, he's headed on a very big mission. He is going to, at the point of Bartimaeus, he's going to Jerusalem to die for the sins of the world. He has got plenty to do. He's got plenty on his mind. But actually, Bartimaeus' faith call interrupts Jesus' program. Is that good? 
I don't think you think it is, do you? Listen, I'm not being rude. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I don't know, you won't know if you're a Calvinist, Arminian, or a, I don't know what you are, something else. Put that aside. I don't explain it to you from a point of view of a systematic theology. I explain it to you as a man who loves Jesus and who loves his word. It seems to me Jesus changes his plans when a call of faith comes to him. Amen? Amen. I'm sure he knew all about it because he's God, but it seems to me that's what happens. From our point of view, that's how it is. Whether it's Jairus, whether it's the woman with the bleeding, or whether it's Bartimaeus and many others, the cry of faith changes his plan. He stops. His agenda changes. He responds. He acts. Jesus will do that for us. Don't let us get so British, so intellectual, and so cynical that we dial faith out of the equation. It can happen. Most of us are not in danger of going mad, doodari, names and claims it, or whatever we call it. Most of us are nowhere near that. Our problem's more the other end. We need to learn that there is something that Jesus loves about faith and about the prayer of faith that says, I believe you are who you are. I believe you can do this. I believe you're the only person who can do it. Please have mercy. And Jesus says, yeah, I like that. 